Welcome to Advanced Fashion Disruption, with co-hosts Benson Roberts III and Megan Somerville, where we discuss the tragic, the predatory, the glory, and the deep beauty of fashion. What's always um, interesting when we get to um, spontaneously address a topic um, with each other um, about criticism, um, and I think that some of my first experiences with criticism of my garments um, were actually from you. <laughs> color, color me fucking shocked. <laughs> color me fucking shocked. But you know, and, and, and it's it's something that I told uh, the individual that we addressed in our in our, um, our 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 emergency phone of fashion friend about a fool our call uh, call today. Um, you know, I told them that that quite frankly, when I think that you're worthwhile enough to say anything, that should not be uh, misconstrued as me being me. If if I've got if if if, if if you, if I don't value you or your work to some degree, I'm not going to waste my fucking breath. Remember, people, I spent 13 years dying of a lung injury. I am incredibly selective about who I waste my breath on or who I uh, spend my breath on or who I share my breath with. So I'm not surprised that I was the first person to ever critique your stuff. What did I say? Was I horrible? Um. Okay, so you were not horrible. Um, but my recollection really is that, um, <laughs> like, I'm afraid now. I'm like, busy. I no, go. like me, when I came to your studio and turned things inside out that you flipped the bras over and you're like, huh, you had that, that gravitating sound that people make when they know that they're on even playing ground. Mm-hmm. I don't like it's a sound. Um, I don't know how to describe it any other way. It goes like this. And huh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know the sound. And, I, I know the sound I make. And so um, it's this cue that I had heard before in my life where um, I knew that I had done something significant and recognizable you know even though it was something innate to me i didn't want to be boastful about it i didn't that was you know it wasn't that wasn't my nature because i was constantly like lisa simpson like grade me evaluate me you know (laughs) when they're off from school for a week or whatever it was anyway um that dates me um so (laughs) (laughs) like for for me it was a moment where i knew somebody knew enough about what I was doing to give me an honest critique. And that felt refreshing for the first time instead of just like swimming around. Um, because when we first met was my first six months running a factory. Mm-hmm. And so um, like I had a lot on my plate. I had a lot of I self-doubt. swear, Megan, I thought you'd been there for a decade because it was so well put together. Holy shit. Six months, dude. Mm-hmm. Although I did have and some so, critique about how you had machines lined up. I had questions. Yeah. I remember that. And so, like, listening to people that had actually done the business as opposed to, um, you know, I've never done this before. I've only, you know, I only know the concepts around it, um, but I understand mechanics really well. So machine repair is going to be a no-brainer. And... Um, you know, figuring out each one of the machine's intricacies and the way that they sew the things that they sew and how how they do that. Anyway, that all of that would culminate into uh, something that I didn't even know if it could be graded, evaluated, Lisa Simpson style. That, but when we first met, that you were looking around um, in the factory, and we were well planted at that point with enough uh-huh. projects uh-huh. Um, that you know I could see how it would look like we had been there for decades. Um, but um, without even having these conversations or being open to them, I would have never known what places to not do things at when to say no to something uh when to say no to a venue or when to like oh shit 
I gotta suck it up because I know that that's wrong because X, Y, Z or thank that person for their viewpoint and say, I'd like to give mine a try for a little bit, but I appreciate your time. Like it's about this human connection where we're trying to make each other better and being receptive to that betterment as opposed to being like that person wants to see me get crushed. And I've had I, that I, in I, my I, life too. I'll, you know, I'll, you I'll, have to far, far, far too often. And, and I, I would say about critique, I'm going to say, I'm going to set a couple mm-hmm. of, um, Please. um, uh, guidelines for critique. When somebody is critiquing your work or even just responding to your work, which is actually in and of itself a form of critique, um, you have to take into consideration who is making the critique. Is this your mom who loves everything you've ever done? Are these your friends who think you're brilliant and want you to feel good about yourself? Are these models or photographers uh, trying to pull garments for free? Uh, you have to take those with an absolute grain of salt. When it's somebody who is a peer or somebody who is uh, at a very high level in the fashion industry making a critique, you have to take that with gravitas. And you have to ask yourself two things. Is this my competitor who's just trying to tear me down and fuck me over? If it is, you just ignore them, whatever. There's nothing positive in anything they have to say. You realize it, you recognize it, you smile, you nod, you say thank you for your opinion. And then under your breath as they walk away, you say fuck you. Um, however, if, if you're getting critique from somebody who is not a friend, not a competitor, somebody who is just giving you an honest bit of feedback, especially if they're telling you how to do better or pointing you to resources to help you do better, take that a bit more seriously. Now, when you're hearing the same type of thing from two or more people in your industry, there is something to be considered there. Stop, drop, and listen. Because, um, well, and if you've made it into a secret club of criticism, and and I mean that in in what you had spoken about earlier in this positive sense of like, oh my gosh, you know, somebody swoop in and please give that person a serger and an overlock machine and give them some lessons about how things. I mean, like, as as opposed to like. you and I having a back end conversation of like, man, I'd really like to talk about this. And, um, and then the intimidation gaslighting stuff on the back end that I got to read, um, really made me feel like, wow, you know, like, so is this social media really out there to just pat everybody on the back and we expect criticism and um, critical, critical eye thinking. talk, <laughs> critical thinking about people who are above us, but not us? Uh, like, well, I, and, and then where, and, and what I, is I, that I, threshold? And, I you know, like, cr- so there's so many things here, right? I want to correct that verbiage. We are not above yeah. them. We are just more advanced in the art of fashion than they are because we have more years in. That's all. I, I don't think I'm above well, anyone. Yeah, I know that, that you don't think what... you're above anyone, but we are at a oh, much God. higher tier of proficiency and professionality. And that is a real thing well, that needs to be recognized. And and I'm even talking about people who are quote unquote above us, Benson. You know, oh, no, the, I have no, um, no. the people that get invited to New York Fashion Week to just show, like you know, like uh, I'm uh, not uh, even saying that I'm, a, I'm, you know, what I mean. Like I'm, I'm really, but it's okay to talk about there. I'm, I'm totally, totally hard pressed to think of who might be above me. <laughs> <laughs> Because you are okay. a bottom. I am, above, I, am, I am he who sits above it all. No, I mean, financially, I'm at the bottom of the shit heap right now. But critically and artistically and creatively, I'm at, uh, you and I are both in the highest tier. I mean, I don't know that he realized that he was talking with 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 absolute vitriol and, and shit. Somebody whose stitching is so good that it intimidates me who has been stitching for over 40 years professionally. 
So like there, there, there is a level of proficiency that one reaches. There is a level of critical success that one reaches. There is a little level of artistic um, um, aptitude and output that one reaches. And then of course there is a level of, of financial and, and those are all different sets of tiers, but certainly this dude who's been doing this for a couple of years, um, five, six, seven, whatever, uh, it's not as well versed in branding or in design or obviously, obviously, obviously construction. Um, as somebody who's been doing it for 40 years in my case, or, or, or 25 years in your case, how long, yeah, when, when, when did you actually become a designer professionally? When did I become a designer professionally? That was probably, yeah, it was like, um, the late 1900s. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so, um, an, an, an entire, an entire uh, millennia ago. Uh, so, you know, like, like just, just maybe stop, drop and listen. Maybe uh, be humble about it because that is the way to take critique. You have to recognize who is critiquing and you have to be able to take critique without becoming a passive aggressive gaslighting asshole. And, and listen, the first, <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the uh, first articles that was critical of my work called my clothing trash bag couture. And how did that make you feel? Well, I felt really good that they called it couture. They're calling it couture. <laughs> I love it. Uh, however, I also recognized that they were recognizing that I was making couture level garments out of tablecloths and bed sheets and trash bags. Mm-hmm. I mean, not literally. I did have laundry bags in that collection that I turned into these amazing uh, sewn origami pieces, and I loved all of the ties. And uh, I, I mean, I right, it was sort of trash bag couture, which is probably what has driven me to having the goddamn fabric store. I will never be accused of trash bagging again, unless I mean to trash <laughs> bag, in which case I'll make the best trash bag couture. In fact, maybe that could be my next line. I'm going to get me a heat gun and some glue and some glue on sequins. No. Um, Zero. You Zero know, carbon I, footprint. I literally <laughs> took the part about couture and was pleased. I took the part uh, about trash bag. Um, and they should have said laundry bag. I, maybe they thought it was a big trash bag. Maybe they didn't know what they were looking at. But it, literally, I was I used a laundry bag. So... You know, I, I thought to myself, well, they don't understand that I'm doing this sustainable thing, which at the time was not even on anyone's radar. Uh, but but the truth of the matter is, is they 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 read my tea. They they clocked that I was using um, uh, tablecloths and sheets and laundry bags. And um, my reaction wasn't to become defensive or my reaction was to be pleased that they called it couture at all, because it really was couture level mm-hmm. work and beaded and sewn. Um but, but to understand, you know, that I clearly needed to be able to invest in better textiles. They were basically saying his work is too good to be made out of bed sheets and tablecloths and laundry bags. And, uh, and that led me to owning the goddamn fabric store and to, to uh, working my way up the, the ladder in the fabric industry high enough that I can actually have my own fabrics woven, knitted, developed. Um, so, so I didn't take that and let it beat me down. I took that and, and allowed it to empower me, which is the whole intention right. of critique. If you cannot be critiqued, you cannot be a better designer. If you cannot be critiqued, if you cannot have a team of people critique your collection, your collection will never be its best because let's face it. We all get a, a bit, um, a bit of tunnel vision when we're deep in a process. And, and it's one of the reasons that, that I often mention that I never allow an emotional attachment to my own ideas yeah. to form. Because once I've formed an emotional attachment to the brilliance of my idea, it's really hard to get anyone to uh, dissuade me from following through. And I will tell you, Megan, we, we have critique parties as I lay things out and as I combine things and as I stare at them for months, everyone's allowed to critique and, and make suggestions. And sometimes, you know, some it, I, when I was in Smithville, the guy that washed the windows was like, hey, that would be really cool if, 
it had a cape. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. thank you. So we did not witness no, that well, today. We witnessed somebody with an overinflated idea of, of their very early journey on the fashion scene because of all of the people blowing smoke up their ass about how amazing they were and a poorly written article um, uh, lauding them as the new messiah of Denver fashion. They took it seriously. And what happens when they can't be critiqued? What happens when they can't learn? What what, what happens to that person, Megan? I think you said it very oh. clearly today. What do they actually well, say? I'm like, I can't learn. I can't learn mm-hmm. and I can't get better. And so eventually, um, you know, am I likely to bother again with this particular individual? I don't think so. Why, why would I? You know, I, and that's not even based. Uh, and, and sir, if you do have the balls to be here listening today, I am not going to bother again, not because you were rude to me, whatever. I am going to not bother with you again because you're a misogynistic asshole who gaslit and abused my friend. So much for your women's studies. You really gender, do need to go gender. back. So I want to be that. super correct here. But, you know, um, my first mm-hmm. experience with a similar reaction um, from an actual student in that um, formal graduating critique forum. And, um, you know, they um, were showing a garment and the garment had a um, like a, a, an entire um, body covering feature to it. It was about all I can say without doing anything. And it had a back zipper. And tell me it wasn't exposed. Maybe zipper. it was. I don't know. I don't have that recollection. But um, it, oh, no, it wasn't. But I can't go into details about that. Anyway, it was a, a more than difficult, more than just mm. a back zipper. I'll say that there was um, more involved into getting to that area, and so um, we as panelists were um, eyeing this particular thing, going, "Okay, so who's your market? Who's your audience?" And they're like, "We well, you know somebody having fun doing the thing," and. We're like, well, you know, what happens when um, your client needs to pee? Because we all pee and we all poop. And <laughs> speak for yourself. And, um, you know, they were at a loss for what would happen. And I was like, you know, are you then elevating your buyer to somebody that has a personal dresser that follows them everywhere where they are able to? do this for them when they need to pee and poop um, to be that fabulous. And they got very, very, and this was their senior project. Of course they would be defensive and of course they would want to, you know, um, spit it out. But at the same time, like, Oh shit, I hadn't thought about like the realities of wearing something. And so, you know, I think part of when we're, first giving critiques that make designers have realizations um, that like, you know, that's like you're going through the stages of loss, grief, whatever, <laughs> anger. <clears throat> well, so- right, right, right. And, and you know, we, we, we have things that we know are limiting. We call them hobble skirts. Don't ask me how they're supposed to walk in the hobble skirt. They're supposed to hobble. I have what I call stand and lean dresses. You're not sitting down in this. And there are occasions where that is appropriate. However, even in a hobble skirt and a stand and lean dress, you can unzip and get to your vagina so that you can relieve yourself. And so like that, as a professional, that was my first experience with offering what I would consider very matter of fact critique and watching a designer have a complete meltdown in front of an entire set of um, industry professionals. And so. Tell me, tell me Stephen Moser was oh there. Oh God, I think them. he really was there. I don't know. Do you know, do you, do you know that they stopped letting him come? Because well, I'm sure. Well, and, and 
And I thought that they needed to cry. Some of the work was really, really great. Like this person really is destined to utilize <laughs> what they've learned in this program to go on to be a designer. And some people you're like, wow, did, uh, do you, do you know color theory? Do you know? And so like some things just weren't cohesive. And so you know that, okay, well maybe you know what you know when you see it, you know, it's like an innate thing when you know, you would be a good buyer or you would be, you know, somebody that's great on the sales floor, you know, but that it's clear that some of these performative um, roles that graduating um, universities have students do um, don't really speak to what they um, are well suited to professionally. And so um, even though I think that this, you know, graduating senior, senior had a very interesting idea um, that they hadn't been able to really defend their final project for their thing that they're in school for in a meaningful way, and suddenly it's my fault for you know pointing out um you know that like the elephant in the room i know we talk about the elephant in the room a lot and he's here we need to get like elephant mascots and make yeah. dresses for them and shit or something <laughs> tell me this of mine you hate the most and what you would have done to better it and i'm going to tell <sighs> you the same and it doesn't have to be hate that's a strong word but what peace of mind could have been better had I done something different with it. This one's going to hurt. And I'm really sorry. Um, it's okay. No, no. It's oh, Listen, if we're going to, if we're going to tell them how, how to take critique and how to make a critique, we're going to show them that we can do it. And if it hurts, okay, I'm going to we'll frame it, it in the sugar shit way. Here we go. Is... <laughs> I would have loved to have seen the next iteration of the Cowboys and Indians concept in more of a James Bondy 007 way that I I felt like I could see that trajectory from its start and I felt like eventually y'all were going to get there because you were starting to talk about suiting and those type of things. And so I felt like in a lot of ways that that was natural, but I felt like what it started at was such a rudimentary seed and that you were growing from there. But I wanted, I like, it was almost selfish that I wanted to see that. Does that make sense? Uh, that doesn't that doesn't hurt at all because the truth is, is that the first calendar happened because I had taken some cowboy-esque underwear shots of him for his agent in Milan. They were never supposed to be part of a calendar. And I was working on something called Glam Savages and we had some cool shots. And when it came time for him to think about going back to Milan to work for Beatrice, um, he decided that it probably was not financially lucrative because the 2008 collapse had happened. And so we talked about doing a calendar and looking at some of these cowboy-esque things that were underwear shots on purpose with some of these glam savage things that were sort mm -hmm. of native on purpose. Um, I thought, well, we have a half a year's calendar here. And uh, so the first year, um, every other month was a portrait and a standing and lots of the same poses because they were underwear fashion poses. And then we would do one that was actually a, a, a landscape, uh, which was the precursor to what we did. Mm -hmm. And we definitely evolved. I mean, in the last year, there, there, there were far more pants and pant vests and pant jacket shots mm -hmm. than there were half naked shots. And we had talked about where those concepts would go. So yeah, that doesn't hurt. And that's, I don't even know that that's a critique because you didn't know that the, the basis of that, the very weakness that you're talking about was that we didn't well, start shooting and a my calendar. Gut we started shooting 
So so go. So I want you to go for a garment. I want you to go for a garment. Watching that creative effort was, why did you stop there? And so that's really my crit. You know, was oh like, well because you we, you had so much more. We, we didn't mean to. We didn't mean to. Um, we had a whole another year's worth of characters picked out with much more opulent costuming and makeup and locations, but life. The relationship did the relationship didn't bear the creative process anymore, and the creative process wasn't enough to keep the relationship mm-hmm. healthy. That's all. So that was. I, I can't even call that a critique. You you basically just sussed out what our creative process was. It was definitely, it didn't start to be a calendar. Uh, and also, you know, we kept the, the uh, playing cowboy and Indian thing because we did so well with the gay rodeo. And then we did really well with a straight rodeo. There was a huge market for that type of work. I mean, people ask me, why didn't I do women? I'm like, eh, I, this only works because I'm so in love with my model. I could not work this closely with somebody I'm not in love with. I just couldn't. We were no more than 10 feet away from each other uh, for years. We traveled in a small truck to the most beautiful locations on in, in North America to shoot those. I could not have done that with somebody that I was just. Well, yeah. And like what, what model. So is the whole dynamic to, was, you know, go out for two to four weeks to be able to get the correct sunlight, the correct weather, <laughs> you know, years, years. We spent yeah. six months shooting. I mean, we traveled hundreds of thousands of miles back and forth across the country. And sometimes we did have, sometimes we had to scrub locations when we got to Santa Fe <laughs> and we had permission to shoot at the big, uh, the big lodge. Uh, the natives gave us permission that burnt down. We got to Santa Fe and there was no forest left. Now, the interesting thing that happened there is I took a bunch of pictures of burnt wood, which became the burnt wood lace that I still use in my collections. I sent those pictures off to a lace maker in Italy and got like 200 yards of, of lace made to look like burnt wood pattern. Um, but that, that whole process was, it was costuming. It was an art process as opposed mm-hmm. to a garment process. So I still want you to pick a garment and I, and you're hesitating to, because you're afraid you'll hurt my feelings. And don't you dare say that they're all so perfect that there could be no critique. Cause that's bullshit. I can oh, well, okay. Right so, I often do critique. If it's my own got shit. to be a single garment, and so I, I welcome to like you know what were you thinking? Critique <laughs> and a garment critique since um, that occurred. Um, <clears throat> I would have to say, and it's it's only from a I've seen your work recently, <laughs> and I know you have it in you, and I've seen your work when you were younger, and I know you have it in you, but. The shot that's actually attached to these podcasts for this season um, is this beautiful red dress, and it has appliques on it, very strategic appliques, and the shot is stunning, the cut of the dress is stunning, the part I don't like is that I know that you could have gone further with the design and the either asymmetry or the symmetry of those rose placements on that piece. And it would have been like, it would have been not in Austin. That would, it would have been like, I mean, it already wasn't, but it would have been like, mm, bye. We're done with him. Um, um, that's an interesting story too. And, and I think that that's an absolutely fair critique. So the backstory on that, Megan, is that, um, I hadn't made a new dress since my lungs had been injured and I had retired from fashion and I had sold off all of my machines except for a serger and a straight stitch machine. And then I sold the serger because I knew if I could still sew a serge seam, I could still be tempted to try to sell things and make them and sell them. So I left myself with only tools to make beautiful pieces that could not be pretty inside. Um, uh, and that was what I, I we traveled with to make the costumes for the Cowboy and Indian calendar that we just right. spoke about. So I started, uh, those, those rosettes were made out of um, a nylon chiffon or a, uh, uh, yeah, nylon chiffon. Um, or maybe it was a nylon poda. 
anyway, crepe de strawberry, and crepe chiffon is what it was. Um, when I was in the hospital with one of my infections and they had me on so many breathing treatments that I was hyper sped up, um, I, I asked Mark to bring me uh, the, the extra bolt of chiffon and scissors and they took the scissors away. So I stole scissors from St. David's Hospital. I stole bandage cutting scissors and I cut strips and then ripped strips because I wanted them a little frayed. And then I, I made all, I made a garbage bag, a 50 gallon garbage bag and a half of those roses because I had to have something to keep from going crazy on the amount of prednisone and breathing mm -hmm. treatments I was on. Um, and I think I kind of knew what the dress was going to look like. And I began making the dress um, on, a, uh, on one of my favorite dress silhouettes. I wanted to see where that could go to. And um, we selected one model who did not show up. Oh. And that model was 5'9". And so in the nth hour, after I had rented the SUV to take uh, a red Ivy, Ivy um, Warner, and Jerry Hanan and this model that did not show up all the way to New Mexico to shoot our entry for um, Austin Fashion Week mashup. I called my friend uh, Nyla, uh, Runway Underground, shout out Nyla. Uh, I think the best agent and the best agency in Austin. She was one of the only agents that actually understood what that meant. Um, and she sent me the model that I actually had conjured in my, I wanted a dark skinned model of African descent who was very dark and at least six feet tall and through the door and her six inch heels ducking under the door frame came that model. South Sudanese, very dark skinned, very heavy African featured six feet tall in her bare feet. Mm -hmm. So I had to take all of the applique off in the car on the way to the photo shoot because six feet tall and five foot nine put things in very different places. So the secret to that dress is that I had Mark go out when I realized what had to happen and he bought me, I just happened to have gone through the sewing aisle at uh, Walmart and they had uh, red ball needles mm -hmm. or, or pins. I said, get me 10 packs of the red ball pins. The majority of the skirt was sewn the cuffs were sewn, the neckline was sewn, but the majority of that placement for those photos was pinned on. There was no time to take them off and sew mm -hmm, them back mm -hmm. on. So those were pinned on, which limited a bit of what I could do. Um, and that was always a, the first dress in a series. Mm -hmm. So it was supposed to look organic. It was supposed to look like things grew. I didn't want to be super precise. And I was playing with the idea of what would it look like if things grew up across a body. And did you ever see the second? Um, I don't know series? if I have. There is. Um, is it the one that is like a rusty lace you. You... color in the desert too, or is it a different one? <clears throat> no, no, it, it, no. It's the exact same. It's the exact same roses. The exact same power mesh. I'm going to send it to you okay. through Messenger right now, uh, and you'll be like, "Oh, okay." That was literally the mm -hmm. the first. Uh, and there are several more actually that are planned so that I have a full dozen of those because I want a dozen roses. I'm a little hokey. Um, oh, oh, I'm sending pictures. What am I doing? <laughs> what's what, what's going on or? here? Where, where, where was I? I just well because I started thinking about the other concepts that mm -hmm. uh, need to get done. But we did make the second one, and I did some test shooting on it. And when you see it, you'll be like. Oh, that motherfucker actually did have a plan. And mm -hmm. I did. And I still do. Well, and I know about uh, getting and these a are not my favorite last pictures. minute for a project. And you're like, we still have to fucking shoot today because everything else has been lined up. So we got to suck it up. Because we're because uh, we got the hotels and the booking. I get it. And, I get it. Uh, and yeah, so it, part it of it's nice to have day. an ex like, you know, hey. The, this is the real world shit that went on there. And I totally appreciate what you just said to me about that because I've been in emer emergency quote unquote air quote emergency fabric <laughs> situations. And if you look, if you look at the pictures that we took of the dress and entered and the dress that walked down the runway on the model at the show, it is the same dress, but it has evolved because I had time to actually sew things yeah, properly. Yeah. And I just sent you, um, one of my favorite models in, in Texas, um, uh, whose name I just literally forgot, 
but oh she God, was fabulous. Uh, and this was a test shoot of the gorgeous. second dress. So we had a whole progression. You see, you see how much further we went I with love it. That. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that up as today's picture as we transition to. Renewing. Why can't I? Why? Why can't? Why can't I call Kelly? Kelly Singh. Shout out Kelly Singh. She is half Latina, half East Indian, and one of the most wonderful, vivacious. She's a bit on the petite side. That dress is actually mm-hmm. a little bit big on her. Um, but she is one of my favorite human beings and one of my absolute muse models. I cannot wait I to I love those her lace appliques. They're such really an gorgeous, person. very sumptuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I had it. to I had to have those made in the right colors. And you'll see that the bottom of the dress is, is not as floral heavy as the first one was. I mean, it, it, there's even a body uh, suit or two and a halter mm-hmm. that goes in this collection. So there will eventually be a dozen red rose dresses and then a bunch of uh, suits that go with them. So again, the collection just de- it evolves mm-hmm. and grows. Uh, eventually, this will be an overgrown rose garden full of other things in it too. So that's kind of how my creative process mm-hmm. is working. But I, 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 you, you, you are on the mark. What was I thinking? I was thinking I've got to cover this this Muslim African models titties and hoo hoo, <laughs> and I and I can't sew things on because we're in a desert. So red pins and very discreetly, uh, and she was such a pro. Uh, uh, Stella, Stella Star, and Stella and I are still Stella Sebit. I think uh, is actually her name. Shout out Stella Sebit. I think Stella Star is her Instagram name. She is one of the most talented, beautiful, kind human beings um, I have ever worked with, and she is she is one of my main muses. Like like when I design dresses, I'm designing them yeah. for a Stella. She's in some of my my favorite looks. So. Um, that was that was literally okay. so that, that that perfectly okay critique because you you're I mean this shows your level of proficiency you're you're finding the things that were processes that were mm-hmm. presented as finished and I would tell you that nothing that yeah, I do is it ever feels finished. That, like people are you done with I, blah, blah, I sometimes blah. take Sorry, something yeah, never Mm-mm, nope <laughs> no, no. I, I will sometimes take something that I've shot twenty times and shown ten times and disassemble it and make the next iteration and people are like well how why did you do that. I'm like, okay, because I can sell, I will even photograph a dress like this half finished because I will sell it to you. Not everyone loves this level of augmentation. I can sell you this dress with just a rolled hem if you don't like the roses Mm -hmm. on the hem. So I don't mind. Every one of them becomes its own style. So they're all valid and they can all be recreated. That's the joy of actually having patterns and keeping notes about how I make things. Um, You have a piece that I love, but I hate. Let on me. Oh, God, I know what Actually, it is. Actually, it's a couple of pieces. It's a couple. No, you may, you may not. It's a couple <laughs> of pieces that I love, but I hate because they are so far below your actual skill set level, and I've seen them before. And in fact, I think one of the reasons that it was so successful in an editorial I shot of them is because I used it completely inappropriately. Mm-hmm. Like the, the hoop pieces that you sometimes make i'm like megan if you want to do this this hoop cage thing why aren't you taking it further i think that there's so much more everyone has done the the bear hoop everyone it seems awfully crafty for a woman of your skill set so why haven't you taken that further or into a different direction? So I did start taking um, that into a different direction. Um, I know this is probably four years ago at Red Ball. I was kind of floating this idea about um, a different version of that hoop skirt that could be worn as an accessory piece with um, all of the form-fitting dresses that are out right now that people are wearing that it that it became more of a casual accessory skirting piece and that created a silhouette that was pleasing to the overall body shape um, of the wearer and so i was really starting to explore that um and i think i was stymied because the first critique that i got from it was like well now that's different <laughs> And I'll have to send you a picture of it sometime um, of what this like uh, burgeoning concept was for me. Um, And I did take it in two different directions. One was I um, 
wow, gosh, one of my favorite, favorite books, um, just as a touchstone of inspiration, are the whole uh, pattern magic books um, from Japan. And so from the book, um, one of the chapters, and I'll have to pull it and hopefully put it in the notes, they're talking about um, creating a shape, you know, patterning out a shape, and figuring out different ways you can insert that shape into your garment's voice. So like every, you have a voice, which um, are these gorgeous lush gowns that are, look fucking fantastic on everybody. <laughs> fucking polyester. And that um, once you begin this process of finding an organic shape that you just want to experiment with and throw it into your designs that you're already making that you can find completely new voices. And so for me, that was a real big experimentation year. Um, it was a year where I was experimenting with um, almost this um, bat wing shape and um I'm drawing it for you so I can hold it up. And so I used it in different sizes, different iterations. Um, uh -huh. And I love, and I love that. So um, that was the beginning. Because at that. the same time, at the same time, you were playing with interesting kimono mm -hmm. elements. Mm -hmm. And, and here, here's what I really want to know. This is the question I yeah. really want to know. If you had to do the fucking hoop panier skirt exposed why didn't we see a double bustle cage why didn't we see bigger better more from you because i would expect it or were you going um i think i was eventually headed there um because the more simple hoop skirt designs are the ones that sell thankfully um and i think the um, the reason why I'm entertaining head in, in that direction. And I think I lent you a red hoop skirt that started looking a lot, and a black maybe one. a black one too, or a dark blue. I don't know. But anyway, the red one really started to take on that futuristic, um, you know, this is the 21st century kind of you know, <laughs> feel to it. Um, and so I feel like I was headed and maybe as way. a maybe as a queer man, like I just saw Madonna do it too mm. many times, and I'm like, Meg, Megan, really? Are you going to sell me Madonna? Because you are so much better than that. But no, I, I'm glad to hear the story now. I'm glad to know that it was an evolutionary because sometimes they just are mm -hmm. evolutionary pieces. You know, that's why for me it was, it was even hard. I'm like, do I? Have, oh yeah, the hoop skirt. That was the one thing I was like, eh, yeah, we'll do something really cool with this, but. Mm -hmm. But like you are so talented, and those are so fucking easy to make. They are they're really really easy to make, and the the addition to the silhouettes that I am trying to achieve with them, um, so that people are essentially having a oh I'm looking through this simple dressing window at garments underneath. And that's really kind of the, that's kind of really the, the back end intent behind those pieces was some of them were very, very simple, like almost like a wiggle skirt, you know, built into a cage frame style that my model would be wearing, um, you know, a gorgeous, you know, one piece um, bra. Um, or an all-in-one in the industry. Anyway, they'd be wearing that underneath the cage skirt. And so I wanted the brain to start interpreting those lines that are created on the dress form as a X-ray eyes. Like it would be so, my, my intent was, I would love to see everybody with X-ray glasses on at a fucking show and my bottles walk out in, you know, these caged rudimentary forms of outerwear with the underwear underneath it. And so that's where, that's where that was coming from. Um, and I think it's still progressing. Did, did I see you, did I see you begin to bring the cage up onto the bodice yes. as well at yes. some point? That 
interested the fuck out of me. I want to see more of that. I would like to see an entire cage up around the head and out on the arms. I think that that would interest me. I've also looked at your work and thought, God, if she just got more intricate and created stained glass stage skirts, you know, so that you had uh, potential pictures within the skirt and then used like a silk organza to make the colors. How amazing. I, 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 I obviously have very high expectations of you, ma'am, because I know how fucking brilliant you are. And that's, mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing. Um, well, well, see, we both took some, and, and, and Megan really hit at one of my seminal pieces. It's, it's the piece that brought my career back and it didn't hurt because she was right. There was a backstory that she didn't know because you usually don't go around saying, yeah, that picture I won an award for had the appliques pinned on. But I did make the motherfuckers mm-hmm. by hand. So the whole thing was was well done. The uh, power, it was power mesh. The power mesh was French seamed and uh, triple zigzag uh, cover stitched. Um, the skirt was much better sewn than the eventual. And, and what I learned is... Um, when I got to the bodice, you can't really sew those on stretch knit. They have to sort of glide across stretch knit. So sewing those appliques on is a very interesting, precise, weird way of stitching so that they can move. Not something I could redo in the middle of a desert and get it shot in time. So we pinned them because pins can move. And I, you know, I said, if you bleed, it's okay. The dress is red. And she wore it so well. And she was such an, and one of my favorite shots from that whole experience actually was one of, we took her out because she'd never shot with us and she didn't really have much editorial experience. So we shot a bunch of black lace dresses. And one of my favorites, she's got a natural, her natural black hair. She looks like a lioness. She's in a black lace dress and a sand dune. And she looks like this black lioness. It's, it's actually my favorite shot, even above the dress that's worth $10,000, the $200 dress favorite shot. We also, at some point in time, I had extra lace and I wrapped a turban and a, and a face mask around her. And we showed her the test shot and she cried. She says, this is how my people uh, back in South Sudan dress. This is amazing. I said, well, this one is for your parents then. Cause, cause I don't know if we could show your parents. Her parents loved the sheer dress. They thought it was amazing. They actually, um, I donated um, a version of that to raise funds for um, schools in South Sudan. The South Sudanese loved that. And they were the ones that actually put us over the top and made us win the people's choice that we got erased from winning because I would say that 10,000, 20,000 people from South Sudan. Had voted oh, and it's that. gotta be some hackers. So the South Sudanese, <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Well, no, you know, they gave it to his friend as they often did the Photoshop King. And I was okay because People's Choice, mm-hmm. whatever. It's a popularity fucking contest. The one that I wanted to win was the Critics' Choice and, and a little bit of uh, self-congratulatory back patting. And I'm going to ask you to do this for yourself today because we don't do it often enough. Every one of the five industry uh, judges for the um, Critics' Choice told me that literally they went into the room of 56 pictures. Every single one of them walked to ours and made it number one. And then they had to work their way backwards to find things that stood up well enough to be in the top five. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was so nice to hear because it was my first dress back and me being able to say with enough lung healing, I'm a designer, not just a fabric store. And outing myself, I was entered in that same year. So that means that my shot was not worth (laughs) coming after that. And I have to be honest about it because like, you know, Did you place though, didn't you? I, I think that that's the year that I got trailblazer. You see my boots? You see my fucking yeah, boots? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're up there. They don't look gold anymore. I, I, we, we never collected ours. Somebody else. No one on my team me, really but, ever bought it. You know, it. I also housed over there for a while. I, I, when, 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 when we received the award, um, the whole team had decided, uh, I said, as far as I'm concerned, everyone won this award because everyone made an incredible effort this year. And I think that there were 52, uh, 56, but several of them were the same team, um, just with different names. I said, I would like you to send this boot to the first on the list. And I want every one of the people to send the boot to the next group on the list. Send our boot Mm -hmm. forward and let everyone have it. And then that was the year that we were ostracized for winning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, how pathetic. I, you, you only entered once and you won. It's, 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 it's not a participation contest, honey. It's, it's an, it's a photo editorial contest. You might think next time about about leaving the alley. <laughs> you you might want to think about actually doing what it takes to create editorial. Mm-hmm. Even my team tried to get me to go up to that that granite quarry in Round Rock to prevent taking the White Sands trip, and I said we stipulated that I could choose the model, I could choose the dress, I could do the makeup. And I could choose the location. Those were the four stipulations. I negotiated with you on the model. And your model didn't show up. So I even got the model that I wanted. Um, We're not going to negotiate on the location. And it was a long trip from Austin, Texas to uh, White Sands uh, National Monument or Alamogordo where we Mm -hmm. landed. It's like a 12-hour trip, 12 or 13-hour trip. And when we pulled into White Sands, it was toward sunset, and we were all sort of slap happy, sleepy, giggly, and we pulled in, and a religious reverence fell over the car, because you are now in an environment that until you've experienced it, you cannot yeah. understand. Um, it is over 200 square miles of white, and it reflects and bends yeah. light differently than any place else on the planet other than Playa del Mar. And it might even do it differently than Playa del Mar, which is a lithium field that's significantly bigger because Playa del Mar does not have, um, it's a salt plant, it does not have the dunes. And the dunes surrounding, it's like one big giant magical soft box. And some of the shots that we took, we took basically when there wouldn't have been enough light anywhere else. And because of the white reflective surfaces, we were able to shoot well mm-hmm. into the night. Um, I, I think with a good ISO and a full moon, you could shoot beautiful editorial that would be just mythic uh, after dark there because of how much light reflectivity there is. So um, I, I remember when we finally made the, the, the first half of the drive around, um, Jerry leaned over the car because I was driving um, and Ivy did too. And they went, I understand now. I said, thank you. Um, one of my favorite places in the world to shoot. And one of my favorite shots of uh, Arbany, uh, Nola or Arbany Gabriel, who is the brand new first ever Filipina Miss Texas America, uh, is is shot there by Nico Nordstrom. Shout out Nico, shout out Arbany, and uh, the metallic hooded dress. And that is actually probably my favorite mm. image ever of one of my pieces and it's not even a complex yeah, piece it's just such a but such a magical place such it was a one of the place. first places that um i camped with my husband i don't know if i've ever told you that story um so that was one of the first places that we ever camped at and we had driven no no we flew into el paso and we got in a rental car and then we had driven to white sands and we had all of our camping gear because we were going to be camping for two weeks and we'd pull into White Sands and the biggest thunderstorm you've ever seen in your entire life, Benson, just descended onto that valley. And we're yeah, like, yeah. okay, shit, it doesn't rain very often here. This is going to pass pretty quickly. Not a problem. Let's just eat some power bars and hang out. So we're hanging out and it's just still raining and raining and we're like we're gonna have to just like make a run for it and get to our camping site which we had already reserved and so we get out we have our really tiny tent and we start heading out into the um, designated camping areas and we're using our flashlight to shine to the next white sand hill as bolts of lightning are spidering across our heads and we finally make it to our campsite, get our tent up, get inside of the tent. And I'm like, I'm laying there and I'm like, tonight's the night I'm going to die. <laughs> Just at that moment where I'm like, this, none of this is good. <laughs> Maybe we should have stayed in the car. But um, that was my, like, that was the camping trip where I knew that I had made a really good decision in a partner. Um, in that, um, 
I would see amazing and fantastic things that would stick with me my entire life and a little bit of danger. Um, and when we awoke the next morning, when everything had cleared and the water had soaked into the desert, it was just that magic box of light and blooms. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Oh my goodness. Well, okay, so you talked to me what about a, yeah. um, essentially a full line, and I said I did the same thing to you, but is there a single piece where you're like, girl, no, <laughs> because it essentially it's like, you know, what are you doing sending me these hoop skirts, right? Oh, okay, mm -hmm. okay, this, this, no, no, I, it wasn't that, I was just like, we have to use these in yeah. an interesting way, because, because as an old queer, I've seen it just a thousand times. Um, um, I, yeah. can I be honest? Can I actually be honest? Please. Uh, when you first started the African, um, uh, wax print collection, I was very askance. Mm -hmm. I was very concerned, uh, with such a pale woman using African fabric. I was very concerned that you might be using Joanne quality Chinese printed poly cotton on, uh, not even on the grain. And I didn't know where you were going to go. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can't, I, I have to say when I saw the results, I was incredibly pleased and I, and, and celebrated them. So I, I don't, I can't think of any one piece that you've done that I was like, eh, eh. I, there was a piece that you had Melissa develop that I was a little um, lukewarm on, but the rest of the pieces in that collection that you did were great. So I can't think of any one piece that you've done that I just didn't like, or that I that I there were. But you know, just wait. <laughs> if we sat down with pieces, just it's like hold my beer. Uh, I know. I I I think that that. Uh, I would have to really go through pictures and look to say, oh, this is this is a little weaker than I would expect from you, or why didn't you think about this? But um, your work doesn't put me in a critical, like, it's, it's the very way we started the phone call. I went, huh, hmm, mm -hmm. hmm. yeah. Uh, I, I've never been in a critical mindset about your work because I've always been pleased to know that you are you are as passionate and detail oriented and as serious about your work as I am. So I don't think I approach your work with a horribly critical judging eye. Uh, if you turned out a stinker, I would tell you. I'd be like, I don't know, girl. Girl, you in danger. <laughs> <laughs> you need to back the fuck away from that. Yep. I know. I, I I mean, it just it, not really, not really. Yeah, I definitely think that the I stuff I that don't. I have hidden away that I would probably put in, you know, a super discounted look at this bag of things that you get in this size, um, is probably what I would consider my first attempts using commercial fabrics and you just can't do it like i look at them and i'm sad at the energy that went into them <sighs> that that energy right you, you you did have a bunch of little little uh uh <laughs> you you did have a bunch of little scrap um bag Velcro scrap bags attached to some of the machines I inherited from you. That were questionable. <laughs> well, I'm going to send you. A <laughs> but mostly because they were made up. They were made mostly made out of, of remnants of uh, horrible um, upholstery fabric. But no, I, 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 uh, I want you to know that if you ever did something that I really thought was, was foolish or dangerous or really um, a bad choice, I would definitely tell you. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't pull a bunch about it. I'd be like, girl, Girl, you would. So I sent you a picture in my studio um, of the garment bra that I'm talking about out of commercial fabric, and essentially it's the um, poly Chinese brocade that's trying to imitate the silk brocade. And and I like being self-critical. I hate it. 
<laughs> I, I hate no, it. I, 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 just in, in the thumbnail, I, I oh. hate it. <laughs> you know, the color is lovely. Um, the print is actually pleasing. I'm sure the construction is probably good, but on fabric that's that fucking nasty and cheap, you can't tell. And that's the problem. That's the only thing I see wrong with this is that this, the fabric screams, I'm a Halloween mm-hmm. costume. Yes. And, 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 and this is what I, what I tell people all the time. I tell students, look, I don't care how brilliant your piece is. If you're using Halloween costume quality fabric, I don't care how well designed, made, constructed, thought out it is, it's going to look yeah. cheap. Which is why we opened textiles because I was tired of seeing really good designers using really cheap shit. And have you ever seen that piece that I just sent to you? Thank God, no. (laughs) Exactly. So I, I, I I think. Do you do you ever use like like silk taffeta, and your bras or your your pieces like real silk taffeta? I have used it up. in undercups and like 1920s tap pant things. So cute. Do you like that kind so of? So cute. Fabric? Yeah, totally. I I have a shit ton of it, and I think I just want to pack it up and send it to you because silk taffeta is not like the um, the uh, pot de soie and the crepe de chaine and all of the other stuff I have. It won't last right. as long, and I want I want it used, and it's it's gorgeous stuff. I mean, iridescent pale blue and gold iridescent green and russet um and, and they're probably 60 or 70 yards of it i think i'm just going to send it to you because well and the in, the interesting part uh, about uh, what you're saying that it has a finite lifetime to them when you're making undergarments that are sitting next to your delicate undercarriage that has an acidity factor it's going to have a fucking lifetime to mm-hmm. it also and when you're wearing a bra exactly. and eventually the entire stitching slash the way the relation within the pattern cut pieces have stretched out over their load time changing they have a finite lifetime also and so like using these beautiful fabrics that have a shorter lifespan is actually beneficial to a product line that also has a short lifespan just innately in its use and it's it, to me, it's sort of like the black and tan mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. concept. I think that if you had a bunch of really high quality silk that you didn't have to spend a fortune on, you might be willing to play with it and try new things. And and my my most hated thing is when I use some shit piece of fabric to try something new, and it's so well made that I wish oh, God. to God I had used something better to make it. Yeah. Um, I actually I had saved all my twalls for about twenty years. Uh, they're gone now, but I was going to do an art installation with all of the twalls where I where I dressed uh, mache mannequins and all of my twalls over all the years, and then go in and paint everything and use that as a an art installation to do a fashion show. Oh, I love it. So I I, I left behind like two thousand twalls and Smithville, <laughs> and I think that I've started collecting them again because I do like that concept. Uh, and they were all they were all pieces that I thought if I just if I just had the guts to make this and something better, this would have been a piece of art. But of course, you learn from the twelve, and then you skip on ahead to the better yeah. fabric. Yeah, I'm gonna pull all that shit. To <laughs> ship it off to you. Uh, I'm just tired of taking fabric around America. I'm taking my fabric on a tour of America. I know. Do you have any Crazy. new information? You have um, like confirmed looking appointments no, yet? No, no, no. No, no. I may end up going at the end of the day to look at the abandoned mm-hmm. building, um, which is in better shape than we nice. thought it was. Um, and the realtor for the uh, four-story building has reached out and said we can look anytime we want to. I just need to arrange that at a time where I can I can grab a ride with somebody. Although she'd probably come right and me up, or maybe Greg, my realtor, will. I need to make that happen and go take a tour of that. I kind of don't want to because. I'm not really sure I can get four hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and or or three sixty or two. I don't know, uh, but that's me having some self defeating behavior. Didn't we have an episode recently talking about self defeating? Well, behavior? and that's one of mine. I will I will not do things because I don't want to disappoint yep. myself, which means that I absolutely am going to disappoint myself because I'm not even bothering to attempt. Yep. It's the perfectionist denial 
you know? Yeah. Oh, oh, Megan, I'm going to delete this picture now and I need you to, to, this is, this is hurting my head right behind my right You mean the, the polyester? It's hurting you? Uh, you want a close up? <laughs> yeah. See that fucking polyester bra? The fuck are you thinking you use a polyester? Okay, Did you wear white okay. shoes in December while you were unsend, making it? Unsend, unsend. You know unsend for everyone. Yeah, I love that. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. That was pain. No, mm. but like, like, and, and that is that is the reality of chintzy shit yeah. fabric. I don't care how talented you are. I would rather make it in tablecloths, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Yeah. Nothing worse than Halloween quality uh, uh, satin. Actually, I don't even like good satin. Can I tell you the truth? I don't really even like good satin. Satin just always looks cheap to me. Um, I have double-sided satin being being the one exception. I like double-sided satin because it's it's lusher and crepier. I think that growing up in the seventies, when satin sheets were all the rage, that I have like initial visceral visceral reaction just to the word, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of me has had to get past the fact that a shitload of people don't know what satin is. And so they'll call any manner of things satin. And so until I actually touch it, I'm like, "Mm -mm." are we we talking about the people who think that satin is actually silk and that silk and satin? Yeah. Or that they see like a really, um, like a double knit poly, like what the um, aerialists use that they call silks. They'll be like, oh, she has the silk satin. And I'm like, no, nope. That is nylon. (laughs) You just heard episode 13 from season one from Advanced Fashion Disruption. You can listen to all of our episodes at advancedfashiondisruption.com. If you would like to leave us a message on our website, there's a contact form and just pop us a message and we'll be able to talk about you right here too. While you're listening to our latest episodes, go ahead and click on Angel for Fashion and support Ukrainian designers. Click through each of the profiles and discover somebody new that you really align with and speaks that fashion voice for you. Thanks for listening.